Hey, you're listening to Featuring Filmmakers, a podcast where we talk to people in the filmmaking industry about their projects and the creative process behind making them. My name is JJ. And I'm Amanda. And this is Featuring Filmmakers. To give you more context around this conversation, we highly recommend watching the project discussed on the blog at featuringfilmmakers.com. Today, we're talking to Davi Pena on the podcast about his short film, Remember Me Here. We dive into how it came from a dream of his and the beauty of shooting on film. I loved talking to Davi, and I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Um, Thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast and talking to us and hearing a little bit about your short film, Remember Me Here. So thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Well, first things first, I'm curious about your journey and your story in the world of filmmaking. I don't know. I guess just growing up, like I I always had an affinity for cameras and moments. And, you know, it started off with like penny board skateboarding videos. And it just sort of evolved to like these little war films that I'd make on my iPad with my friends and their airsoft guns. And then like my ambition grew and it turned into like a zombie film. And it just like kind of snowballed and... And towards the tail end of my senior year, I, I thought about, you know, film school, like I, I, maybe I should take this seriously. Uh, and I applied to different film schools and whatnot and got into SCAD, the Savannah College of Art and Design. And um, when I was down there, I met, you know, a bunch of the collaborators that I work with on all my projects. And that's where I really sort of found my voice and my style, but also like really learned the craft of filmmaking, which I think happens for most people outside of the classroom, you know, just the act of like doing it, like picking up the camera and figuring out how to move it through a space and communicate a character's perspective through the camera. And of course, like all these other elements. Um, And I guess a little bit of a rewind, my first experience ever on a film set, I was in 10th grade. Um, I got to be a PA, uh, an intern PA um, on this feature film shooting in Charlemont, Massachusetts in Western Mass uh, in the Berkshires, if you guys know where that is. Um, My family has, it's okay, no one does. It's like really, (laughs) really small town, but my family has a, uh, like a ski house up there that we all go to for holidays and whatnot. And we rent it out sort of like an, as an Airbnb kind of Um, or at least we have like a part of the house and a production came through and they really wanted to, they needed to, they needed a house to put cast and crew in. Um, but we don't rent out the whole house ever, but they wanted the whole house. So my dad kind of made a deal with them. He was like, okay, like, we'll let you rent out the whole house if my son can, be on this movie set in some sort of way because he wants to like be a director or whatever hey um, dad thanks dad yeah yeah he came in clutch uh so i ended up you know getting exploited on this feature film for about a month i was 15 years old willingly exploited of course but it was the most amazing experience in my life you know my my perspective on filmmaking really shifted i think that was actually that was probably the moment where I like went from like hobby, like this is kind of fun to like, oh, like this is like an industry and this is a machine. And it was an indie film and, and it was relatively small, you know, when you look at scale of like how big a film can be versus how small a film can be. But, you know, it's still like I hadn't, I didn't know what a first AD was. I didn't know what a DP really was. I didn't know that the DP doesn't touch the camera. There's a camera operator and then the camera operator doesn't pull focus. There's a first AC. So I learned about all of these different departments and these different people. And, um, you know, when you're, when you're on location for so long, like 
the month that we were shooting, it becomes a familial experience. You know, everyone's in it together. It's a team effort. You're waking up really early in the morning and you have like a 14 hour day and it's just that back to back. Uh, maybe you get like a day or two off, but it's like, it's really, you're in the trenches. And as a 15 year old at the time, I think, you know, that first week I wanted to cry and I was like, what is this craziness? You know, stakes are high. Intensity is always pretty high. Things need to get done, but you know, people become like family and you get to know the people around you and you see scenes unfolding in front of you and an actor doing their thing. And, you know, I, I felt like I got to experience that movie magic that people talk about. You know, you kind of just see things coming to life. And that made me just want to be a part of it. That's a cool story, though. That's definitely unique. And um, to have that experience from a young age, that's super unique. And to transition from there and jump into Remember Me Here, maybe give us like a, in your words, a description of what this is about and like um, the visuals. It's a collage of dreams and memories in the mind of this man that's sort of unpacking his trauma from the, that stems from the disappearance of his little brother 15 years ago. And we follow his journey as he makes his way back home, living this nomadic lifestyle, going back to the place where it all happened and just making peace with it all. And I, I've set out to create what I feel like dreams and memories feel like, you know, they're nonlinear. They don't always follow in, in order. They are sometimes shrouded in darkness and they're mysterious and they're contorted and fading. And I think a lot of the visual language in the film, at least when we're in the past, has a different language from when we're in the present. And there's a vibrancy and a, and a nostalgia to the way that we kind of crafted out these memories and these dreams. It's, it's very vibrant and alive, and it's different from the reality that the actual character lives in. Tell us a little bit about how this story began and where the inspiration came from. Yeah, this was a weird one because it was like five different films. Uh, it was one thing, and then it turned into another thing, and then another thing. And it all kind of, it, it all kind of stemmed from my previous film, which was called Eyes of Idolin. It was my senior thesis capstone project at SCAD. And it did really well. I was really proud of that film. I had a really successful festival run. And Kodak, um, they, we were, my DP was awarded a grant. We were awarded a grant for, uh, I guess, the merits of the film and its cinematography. And it was called the Kodak Vision Grant. And essentially it was like, you know, for students at different film schools and, uh, they gave us, I believe, we won $5,000 worth of Kodak pro stock, like product, and $2,000 or $3,000 cash. So me and Kai were like, we have to make something. Like we need to, and, and we get, and how often do you get to shoot on film too, you know? And, and yeah. every narrative, I've been so spoiled. Every narrative I've done, I've shot on film. My first one was 16, my second one was 16, and this one was 35. And he was very eager. Yeah, to, that's, that's pretty nice. I'm so spoiled. I'm so spoiled. Um, I love film. Um, and Kai loves film. And, and Kai was like, we need to shoot this on 35 and we got to make it count. And, and what do we do? You know, like it's, it's the first film that we're making outside of film school. There's no infrastructure. Uh, we can't just go to the cage and like rent out equipment. We got to pay for everything. We got to pay people. So like, let's try and write a story that's self-contained, um, something that we could like produce, you know, like, and of course, like the first script I wrote wasn't that 
at all. Like it was like this weird sci-fi odyssey crammed into like 15 minutes. And it's not at all what you see here. It was, it was called Visitant. And it was about, similarly, it was about these two brothers, but one of them sort of gets like abducted by this alien entity figure. Uh, and then is then actually like returns like 20 years later and he hasn't aged and his older brother has is like in his 30s and he's still like this little boy from when he went missing um but it just became a really complex story to tell just not story to tell but to produce i guess more or less and devin at that point you know he was writing it with me and we we wrote that first draft and we realized like this might be a little tricky to make and we kind of just talked with Kai. Kai was also like a big part of this too. Like I don't look at Kai as just the DP. I don't look at any of the collaborators I work with as just production designer or just art director. I think like when you're really in it, everybody is like a filmmaker. We're all trying to tell a story. He was very much a part of this film even being a possibility. Without him, there's no grant, you know? Um, so he was a part of the conversation and it just turned into this other thing which I'm not even going to get into because it just didn't serve either versions of the story but I think like after we were going through and doing different drafts and it was changing so much there was a point where I felt like sort of disheartened I was like what am I trying to say here like it's shape-shifting and morphing and um, I felt like I was maybe losing sight of what I set out to create and what it culminated into was me and Devin writing something that felt a little bit more abstract, a little bit more like a poem or a memoir or something and really making it feel just like a collage of dreams. Did you have any inspiration that like sort of came from a personal experience? But definitely in, in ways. I have a little brother um, and I, I love him. He's awesome. But when we were kids, he was my arch nemesis. He, me and him definitely had like some rivalries and whatnot. As I got older, I realized like some of those things maybe create a, a bit of a rift in our relationship. You know, the big brother syndrome is definitely real. I don't know if you guys have siblings or whatever, but I had this dream and I don't remember really the dream, but I remember the the feeling of the dream. And it was just a, a it was a nightmare that I, you know, I lost my brother and it was like after a big fight. And I don't talk about it much because it's not like a serious thing, but I remember the feeling that like lingered with me there. And I think that was like sort of, the genesis of like maybe the feeling that I wanted to explore is like that feeling mm. of regret, that feeling of guilt, that burden of like doing something and then tragedy happening. And like, what do you do? This is the first time I'm even talking about this film at all with anybody. And I shot it or we shot it uh, a year and a half ago. And we just now like actually finished it like like two weeks ago I got like the final export like everything's like done so it's been like a long a long journey and, and then writing it too it was like it felt like a year you know maybe it wasn't maybe it was only like six months but it felt like a long time um and just like through all that I think my ego just shed itself and I was just like let's I, I'm very much a director that's like let's make a movie like let's make a film like let's see what happens let's 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 break the rules. I, I'm not dictator. I'm not Mussolini. Of course I have a vision and like, I have like my intentions and the pressure points that I want to hit. And I have like a certain visual language that I kind of like to adhere to within my films. But, you know, I think as a director, it's a team sport and like, 
if you know what you want, then other people probably know what you want too. And, and you should listen to them because if they have ideas, they're probably going to align with yours. And if you are good at making decisions and picking which ideas are right, you can make some really beautiful work. Some of the, some of my most proudest moments in this film, um, come from the minds of other people in a way. And that just comes from me, like allowing them to open that door and being open to what's on the other side, you know? So uh, I try to not have ego because I feel like ultimately ego can just hurt you and it can it can honestly hurt your film. You know, I feel like a lot of films, they just become really rigid or they become really one dimensional and, and you can kind of see a director indulge a little bit much. Um, maybe not so much with short films. I guess you can get away with that more. But just I guess I mean, sometimes like when I watch a feature, like I can tell like a director definitely indulged a little bit. And I think that's like the the plight of the director or not the plight but like towing the line between indulgence and justification i think is like super hard sometimes and and i think lack of ego can kind of help with that because you have other outside perspectives that can kind of you can bounce off of and it helps it helps me at least i want to ask you a little bit about um your relationship with the producers i noticed there was quite a few on this project how did you go about securing those producers? Did you have a previous relationship? What did that look like? The EP, who was Chad Tanese, he I, he kind of came to, to me a while ago. He owns a production company called Resolve, and he was just really interested in my work. And he just wanted to support me as a filmmaker. And he ended up putting you know a decent amount of money to make this thing actually be able to go into production. So... Thank you, Chad, if you're watching this. Um, and then Calvin and Liz, um, Liz Crowshaw and Calvin Herbst, they're just, they're the homies. Like the, I met them in college. Uh, Liz produced my first ever short film, which was called The Fray. So Liz and Calvin, they're just people that I've worked with a lot. Yeah, it's just, it's just friends. Like with short films, it's just like, who can you convince? <laughs> to help you out, you know? I love that. Yeah, totally. I also want to ask you a little bit about set design and locations because mm -hmm. the those two things are very integral to this story. I think especially creating a world for the brothers to live in. Yeah, for sure. It's funny because the ruins location, that was a surprise. It was actually going to take place. That whole scene was going to unfold very differently where originally in the script it was like they were kind of going through the woods and there was like this wind and this light that was kind of this mysterious element that was like bouncing off the trees and kind of wisping around and you know they're walking past each other and he looks at his little brother and he, his little brother's walking past the tree and it just never comes out the other side and just like sort of disappears and it was supposed to be like this really uh disorientating um tree labyrinth scene almost where like he just loses his brother somehow in the forest and it's very uh confusing but me and kai were like i think there needs to be something a little bit more grounding like something that's a little not just like walking in the forest and and someone disappears and kai uh we shot this in georgia and i'm from new york so i didn't get to do any location scouting really like every all the location scouting i did at least was remote so like google earth became my best friend when it came to location scouting and we were trying to figure out like a, a setting for this location i guess kai went out one day on a hike or something and he just found these ruins uh in the middle of the forest and it, apparently they're called the 
something paper mill, uh, something, it was like an old paper mill, but there are these ruins that are in like this park. And I remember he sent me photos. He's like, dude, look, check this out. And I, I opened up my phone and I, I scroll and I see these photos and I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like this, this is like magical. Like there's like some forbidden magic here or something like the, it gave me like Narnia vibes in a way, Yeah, you yeah. know? And I love that. And I feel like that kind of lends into like, if I was a kid and I found these ruins, like I'd be hanging out there all the time, you know, or I'd be like fascinated with them. I, I just felt like it lended itself nicely to like the atmosphere and the tone of the script. And like it, it kind of grounded us in this central location. And I think there's something to be tied to with there's like this folklore of like if you see um, stairs in the middle of the forest, like people say that they see stairs in the middle of the forest and, and that's like a stairway to the afterlife or to another dimension or something. And that kind of like, I, I kind of like took that maybe in a pseudo sort of way and, and connected it with the ruins where it's like these ruins, there is some sort of forbidden magic here. We don't know what it is, but obviously, you know, Ari, the little brother slipped into this ulterior dimension that I perceive to be the afterlife. It's all an allegory for loss for me at the end of the day. And just like, that's what the ruins kind of became a conduit for was like, just like this gateway to the other side. But I do want to kind of touch base with like the house as well, too. I feel like that created, that's like foundational for creating the environment that these two brothers grew up in. So we spent a lot of time looking at different houses. Originally, we wanted to, I wanted to shoot this in Massachusetts because I have personal ties there and I just love New England. I think it's gorgeous, but we just didn't have the money to shoot something in Massachusetts to fly crew up. So it was just a lot of us looking for a certain type of home and it didn't really exist um, in Atlanta, Georgia, at least like it didn't fit what I saw in my head. So we were going through all these options and um, Liz sent me the location that we shot in. It has a very symmetrical design to the architecture where there's like a lot of doorways, a lot of long hallways, a lot of rooms looking into rooms, into rooms um, and doorways. I mean, that's it's sort of a motif throughout the entire film, you know, frames within frames standing within you know, in front of something that's like a gateway or whatever. And, and that the architecture of that house and the space of that house allowed us to like explore that motif. It was perfect. It was perfect for what we were trying to do. And jumping into production a little bit, um, give us some context into the relationship uh, between you and the DP going into production and then even on production. What does that relationship look like? for you yeah me and kai have a very close-knit collaborative relationship he is not my dp on everything but pretty much you know like every narrative that i've done he's been he's been my right hand man so we've sort of developed this visual language and you know we're storyboarding and we're shot listing things um you know we had a shot list but we were ready to throw it out i think that's the best way you know to go about doing things have a plan but get ready to get rid of it because there's always going to be something on the day that i think is better than maybe what you have in your head there was a lot of times where me and kai on this one maybe had some creative differences because it was just i mean we're shooting on film and and a lot of what we were telling we're telling all essentially like the odyssey of of a man and his journey through life but we have to tell it in very limited amount of shots like what you see in the film 
that's like pretty much it. Like that's that's pretty much what we shot. There wasn't a lot that made it onto the cutting room floor. So whenever we had like creative differences, it was usually because it was tricky to to tell this story with as few shots as as we told it. Um, and part of that comes down to like money and, and, and time. A lot of the discoveries that we would make after maybe having like a creative difference and stewing on it, because, you know, whenever I have a creative difference with Kai, we both get frustrated and, and upset because we both care so much and we always both want to be on the same exact page. And sometimes, you know, it's just not always like that, you know, filmmaking, it's, it's a tricky thing. Um, especially when, you know, you have personalities that have their own sort of intentions and visions or you know ideas of how things should go and we're me and Kai were like always on the same page so then when we're not it's like we both need to kind of reroute and figure out like okay what what do, what do we do here but whenever that happened the discoveries that we would then make became like some of my favorite moments in in the film yeah i trust him i trust him a lot and i don't know what i would do without him in my corner how did you two come to a decision on gear and and what did you end up shooting on yeah so i'm not i'm not much of a gearhead myself i kind of get just intimidated and lost by by all of it um so i definitely trust him with at least like the type of glass like i know what type of focal lengths i want to shoot on or if like a shot needs to be if a shot is better you know with a 35 then a 50 like i can make those decisions and dis distinguish like which is better there but as far as like the type of glass like i'm just not too picky with that um when it comes to film stock me and kai are having conversations and that's you know th there's only so many stocks nowadays too so it's like you get 200t 500t 250d um 50d we weren't shooting black and white um and we wanted a little bit of a cooler color cast. So it was just, we wanted to shoot it on tungsten. Um, but everything else, you know, I kind of really leave to Kai, you know, what body, what camera body he wants to shoot on, what what type of glass he wants to shoot on. I'm curious because you're shooting on film and you have a limited amount of time. How do you go about directing your actors is it is it a different experience directing on film as opposed to directing something via a digital camera I, I think so I mean I haven't directed any narrative on a digital camera so I almost like I almost don't know the only comparison I have is like from my high school days when I was shooting everything on my iPad and I don't think I really knew how to direct actors. They weren't actors, they were my friends. So I don't even know <laughs> if any of that is gonna be useful with this conversation, but I definitely think that shooting on film changes your approach. I think, you know, having shot my first film on 16 and then my second on 16, I was always very intimidated by the fact that I could only maybe have two takes for an important scene or for an important shot. I wanted to, direct my actors before we stepped on set. So I would just have, I, I incorporate my actors into the collaborative process as early on as, as I can without like putting too much on their plate. Um, but I like to have conversations with them. You know, I like to talk about the character with the actor weeks before we're ever on set, whether that's over, you know, a coffee or if it's on Zoom or we're just getting together and we're hanging out, but just having conversations and telling them what I think this character, who I think this character is, how I think they talk, 
what their perspectives are, what their memories are, all these things that like go into what make us as people and like communicating that with the actor. And again, like in the spirit of collaboration, like hearing what they have to say. And usually by the time we get onto set, like they have an intuitive understanding of who this character is. Working with kids was a first for me. Working with them was awesome though. It wasn't a nightmare like I thought it would be. I was very scared to work with kids just because I, I was like, do I communicate with them like adult actors? I've heard that's what you should just do, but also like they're kids. Like I want them to be kids, you know? Another thing that I think lended itself immensely is the fact that they're brothers in real life, the two of them. So there was just a level of trust and and comfort between the two of them. And what I wanted to do is just nurture that. So whatever I got was as authentic as possible. Shooting on film, you often have a lot less to work with um, in the edit room and it comes together quicker because you kind of have these shots nailed down. Was that the case here? Yes, yes, yes and, and no. Um, since Devin was a writer on this and Devin is an editor, um, I, like I said, I trust him. So, you know, there's, there's what we set out to shoot. There's not a lot of footage. So like, there's only so many directions that it can go in. And I kind of just gave the footage to Devin. And whenever I work with Devin, I always want to be surprised on the first cut. So I don't give any direction. I'm just like, go cut this, surprise me. I trust him to do that, you know, like, so he goes and he, he cuts it up and the first thing that he brings back to me is always a solid base. It's always a matter of just like peeling back maybe, and then like rebuilding. And, you know, that's kind of how we worked. Like I just gave him the freedom to do that first cut. He did it. I was proud of it. And after that, it was just like a bunch of editing sessions, just dialing things in, you know, re-exploring certain moments, letting shots linger. So a pressure point is felt a little bit more. There's a lot of mixed media in this too. There's analog animation, and this might be controversial. There's AI animation um, in the film. I'm out. See you later. AI can be a medium if you use it ethically. I don't think you should ever replace uh, authentic art you know i think that's part of the reason why i chose to have analog animation and ai is part of the reason we used ai animation is because of its sort of undefined nature i like that it doesn't look like human art i and and that's going to change and that's scary and i don't know how i feel about that but from where it was during the process of us making of making the film that's that's what I felt best, like sort of emulated the inside of somebody's mind is like just this undefined sort of circular swirling nature of, of just, you know, visions or whatever or whatever you see. Like I felt like AI kind of like lended a hand in, in portraying that. And uh, Devin took care of like all the AI animation. He was he got really into it. We went through a bunch of different, you know, variations of stuff that we wanted to use for that opening sequence and it just changed over time and it's not as simple i think as people think it is that ai stuff like at least what he was doing like uh, he would pull up the software stable diffusion and he'd be putting in nodes and like different axes for like the camera to move and it was a it was a long process because i'm not paying him you know it's all out of the spirit of collaboration so the editing process it went on for like five i mean like i said we just like got the final export like 
two weeks ago. So it was just like a, a, a long process of like whenever he did have the time to like sit down with me, we'd get on a call for a few hours and just like work things out. And um, yeah, I, I think I always go back to just trust, like it's just trusting that and, and then, you know, building off of what I'm given. The analog animation was it was the stop motion animation of the drawing coming to life. And that was done by an animator named Nataza Setner. Yeah, every single frame of that stop motion animation is hand drawn by her. Um, and she can maybe speak a little bit more onto that. I will say I, I like your approach with the AI animation. I feel like it's I almost don't. like I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. It's almost like abstract art where like you can choose the paint, you can choose the canvas. And like you have your methods, but where it finally falls, like where the paint falls, that's like the beauty of abstract art in a way. And it kind of sounds like a similar approach with AI animation, or at least how you treated it, which is cool. Given that you just received the final cut two weeks ago, I'm assuming this hasn't been released yet. Well, right now, <laughs> right now we're in the festival circuit. We're submitting to festivals and we're kind of just waiting until... Um, the film finds its premiere home and and I don't know if this is a festival film I don't really care either I just feel like you know me and my team we made a really beautiful piece of artwork that the world deserves to see and and it's frustrating that I don't know when the world will see it um, I think it'll probably go public sometime next year you should be proud of what you made and um, it's a beautiful piece thank you I have a question though. What What's one thing that you learned from this project? I think just being open to letting things evolve. I feel like that's just a lesson that I continue to learn. Like I learned it on my last film. I learned it again on this one, but in a different way. Also, you know, lack of ego can be a great thing. I mean, we all need ego. Like as a director, I don't think you can direct if you don't have any ego. So I'd be lying if I said like, I don't have any, I like, I know what I want and I know what needs to be done and like things that I, but also like, you can't let that be the loudest thing in the room. We always like to hear from guests who they would love to hear on the podcast. Someone you look up to or someone that, or a project that you really love that you would be interested to hear the breakdown of. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Jared Hogan. Um, he's an awesome director. I love him. <laughs> you guys could get him on the podcast. I just love to hear about, he made a transition recently to Amazon music and he's kind of like in that space now, but I, I'm curious about like how he still juggles his narrative ambitions. Um, because I feel like as directors and this isn't all directors, but it's at least me movies is the goal, like feature films, like music videos. Those are fun commercials trying to figure out how to get into that world. Narrative shorts are another thing, but feature filmmaking, I think for a lot of filmmakers is the goal. And I'm just interested in hearing more about like people that still have those ambitions, but life taking them in different directions and then still, you know, putting out work that's, uh, that's them. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here today and chatting with us, spending time uh, with us. Yeah, it was really interesting. To t I haven't talked about this film at all. So it was just like, you guys are asking me questions. I'm like, that's an interesting question. Cause you know, just jogging my memory. You guys have really jogged my memory today and got me in that headspace again. And so thank you guys for the opportunity and just allowing me to share the film with y'all and talk about it. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Where can uh, where can people find you? Instagram, website. How do people find you? 
my Instagram is davi.x.pena. And my website is davixpena.com. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show. We'll catch you soon. Featuring Filmmakers is made possible by Harvest Film Company. To dive into content about these projects that we discuss, you can go to our blog on featuringfilmmakers.com, where we have everything laid out with behind the scenes, the original project discussed, and additional episodes there. So check us out at featuringfilmmakers.com. Thanks so much for listening. Love you. Bye.